the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Happy New Year. It would be happy if we had like 50 more degrees. Isn't that the truth? And if maybe Mountain Cedar didn't exist. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call this audience to fast and pray. And and here's dear Jesus. We need 50 more degrees minimum and everything will be great. Beyond the cold weather, it really is a good new year. I'm glad to be back on the program. Glad to, to have... Um, your phone calls and questions. We've been getting some great questions sent in, but we love your live calls and questions. Um, I had no pressure at all, and then my producer said, it's the first program of the year. Don't mess it up. So now I'm feeling a little bit of pressure. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free if you're outside the local area at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call Let's use the free KSLR mobile app uh, with the hands-free feature. You just touch the call now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio uh, producer. So we'd love to have your live calls and questions. Today is what I call every year, it's my annual back to normal day. Schedule stops getting messed up. We can start getting back into some sort of a rhythm. It works for me. I'm a routine guy. So today is get back to normal day. And the best way to get back to normal on this program is to have you call with any questions, questions about the Bible, what we believe as Christians and why. Uh, if you're going through something difficult in your life, we can help with that because the Bible has the answers. I trust that you had a really, really great New Year's. We did here at Calvary Chapel, you know, it was a, a, the way it fell this year, Sunday being on uh, both Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, it worked out really, really well. We had a lot of people here, and people got saved. That's the neat thing. And especially uh, on Sunday, uh, I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if the last person got saved? We didn't even see 2018. Well, the last person didn't get saved. There's still more. So we have to be about our Father's business. Let me get right to questions. 340-9585 for your live calls. Here is a question from Nacho from our email inbox. He says, I have two questions from 2 Timothy chapter 1. What do you think made Timothy feel ashamed of what Paul was going through, as we read in 2 Timothy 1, 6-14? And then the other question was evangelism, the gift referred to in verses 6 and 14. I think verse 8 points to that. Um... I don't think necessarily that evangelism is the gift. Let me start from the from the second question. Um, I, I think because in the context 
uh, we can go all the way back up to the fourth and fifth verses where Paul is talking about um, being reminded of, of Timothy's sincere faith, um, which was passed on to him from his mother and his grandmother. And Paul says, I'm persuaded that now lives in you. Um, he, he had hands laid on him. His gifting was obvious to everybody. But the idea of, of his gift was his calling as a pastor, his calling as the Apostle Paul's helper. Um, whatever that involves, uh, Timothy was f- a fairly fearful young man. When I say young, he was probably in his 30s, but he was a fairly fearful young man. He wasn't a dynamic person like the Apostle Paul was. Um, and, and he had to be reminded. Uh, verse 6 in Second Timothy 1 says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So what he needed to do was remember uh, the privilege and the honor of having been called. Uh, this This matter of being ashamed is really important because it's sadly ironic that many Christians live their lives as though they really are ashamed of Jesus. They won't talk about him. Uh, that's true, they wouldn't characterize it that way, but if we're not active, visible Christians, if we're not sharing our faith, uh, even with those who might be violently opposed to it, then we are ashamed. We don't want people to call us Jesus freaks or Bible thumpers. So what we want to do is we want to share our faith. You know, many years ago when I was teaching on this passage of Scripture, Nacho, uh, I used an illustration of taking pictures of our children and our families to work with us. Uh, We put those pictures on our desks. Some of us even have pictures of our pets. We're proud of them. We're eager eager to tell other people about them. But it's just not the same when it comes to sharing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this, as I said, was one of Timothy's personality issues. He just wasn't an in-your-face type. And for uh, Timothy, like for many of us, sharing didn't come easily. And that's why Paul preceded this demand in verse 7 with this command. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Now, here's when we have a tendency to get ashamed. When things aren't going well, We think, well, if things were going well, if I was serving God, everything would be better. And we don't want other people to know our troubles. But what we need to do is understand that sometimes, as was the case with the Apostle Paul, to the outside world, it doesn't look like things are going well. Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. And this is the most personal of all Paul's letters. And there were people who were ashamed of him. This rumors would begin to circulate, especially by those who were enemies of Paul, that, well, if he was really God's apostle, if he was really doing God's will, then he wouldn't be in prison. God would have rescued him. And maybe they would even tell stories about Peter and the others being rescued from prison uh, much earlier in the history of the church. So Paul is just saying, look, don't let circumstances make you ashamed of who we declare, who we preach, Jesus Christ, nor about me. You know who I am, Timothy. You know my commitment. And this whole letter, by the way, is going to be a letter where Paul basically says, I know that it's time for me to die. So, Timothy, don't be ashamed of those things. And if you're not ashamed of those things, then you'll testify of Jesus. One of the things that I said in our message on Sunday, we did a New Year's message uh, here at Calvary Chapel on Sunday. And one of the things I exhorted our church to do was to be bolder with our faith, not arrogant, and I certainly don't mean loud, but to be bolder with our faith. We've got to understand very simply that we have an obligation to share Christ everywhere we go. Now, if somebody doesn't want to hear, you don't talk to them about it, but but you open that door, you give them the opportunity. And too often we really do, sadly, Nacho, we act as though we're ashamed of Jesus, we want to keep him to ourselves, and just the opposite is true. We need to be reminded always that we have this treasure, eternal life, forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ, the only transformational power on the face of this earth, No one, nothing else can change the heart of a human being. Just Jesus. And the last thing we should do is be ashamed of that and say we should boldly proclaim 
that this is our Jesus and we're proud of him so that's what was going on there Timothy was just one of those uh, young men who had some difficult issues thank you very very much Nacho for your question 340-9585 for your live calls and questions our next question comes from uh, our email inbox and it's from Anonymous Uh, And he or she says, I invited a new believer, a friend to church. Her response was, do I really need to go to church? How do I know which church is right for me? This is one of the great questions that we've had in a long time, Anonymous. And the reason, uh, two things. One, thank you for inviting her to church. Wherever you go, that was great. Um, but when she asked, do I really need to go? We can't expect an unbeliever or a, or a, a new believer uh, to understand the value of church. So here's what I would do if I were you. I would suggest to her that she reads the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. It won't take her long. It's not this overwhelming thing. Tell her, you're going to have questions. We'll, we'll help you find answers. But just read them. Read them three, four times each chapter. Again, it won't take very long. And the Spirit of God, working through the Word of God, will begin to communicate with your uh, uh, friend the, the need of church. This is a family. This is a family. This would be like somebody saying, uh, you know, I want to get healthy, but I don't want to go to the gym and exercise. Or I want to get healthy, but I want to continue eating badly. You would say, no, you can't do that. Well, why? Other people do. Well, going to church, the body of Christ, of which she has now become a member, ought to be something that thrills her. And I think God will use those first three chapters of Ephesians to sort of whet her appetite for church and what it's all about. Now, equally important is the question, how can she know which church is right for her? Uh, She needs to go to find out. Just go. Find one close to home. Just make sure. And you can give her some counsel. Make sure it's a Bible teaching church. Uh, Make sure, when I say Bible teaching, I don't mean Bible preaching. I don't mean one of these seeker-sensitive churches or churches that don't like to talk about sin. She needs now to start growing. Just like when a baby is born, the mother nurses this child or feeds the the child formula. Why? Because if the baby doesn't eat, then the baby won't survive. Well, in the same way, this brand new believer friend of yours has to eat from the Word of God because the world that she belonged to only a short time ago is going to destroy her. The world that she belonged to is going to challenge everything that she now says she believes, and the enemy is going to destroy her. A body will help insulate her. Learning from the Bible being taught will help her to grow. She needs sort of spiritual baby food now. But as the Bible is being taught, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the Spirit of God that now lives in her will begin to help her understand. And the more questions she has, the more curious she is, the better it will be for her. And the Spirit will be there to help her discern a church that's for her. This is a matter, Lord. And and God will do this for brand new believers if we'll only ask. She needs to say, Jesus, I'm scared I could go to a church that's not a good church. I don't know which one to go. Help me. Lead me, Lord. And he'll do that. And if she stumbles into a bad church, he'll let her know. He loves her. He wants to care for her. And being a part of this family, growing in the grace of God, growing in the knowledge of God, who he is and what he's done, will change your entire life. So I hope that helps. Thank you for sharing your Jesus with her. Um, But let her know that she needs to get in church. She needs to get active in church as well. Here is another question from our email inbox from Richard. He says, I hope this isn't a silly question, Pastor Ron, but I think I know the answer. However, I'd like to hear your response. And then he says, have a happy new year. Thank you, Richard. I hope to have a great new year serving Jesus. Here's the question. Is it the what or is it the whom that saves people from going to hell? Richard, that's not a silly question at all. In fact, that question is one of the more important questions that, that need to be asked as well. Because we have this culture that, think, that, that believes in formulas and believes in sort of shortcuts. 
uh, the gospel saves. No, the gospel doesn't save. It's Jesus that saves. It's a person that saves. It's a person that was um, God. He proved it. They killed him. He didn't stay dead. He walked this earth for slightly more than 33 years. He did miracle after miracle, validating his claims to be God. And then, of course, the ultimate validation, his resurrection from the dead. Um, He's the one that saves. He's the only one that saves. It's not the what, it's not the gospel. I was criticized, Richard, some time ago uh, on this program. Somebody called and said, well, you know, you should give the gospel every time you preach. You should give the gospel every time you're on the radio. And I said, I I talk about Jesus all the time. But it is this gospel by which we are saved, Paul wrote, he said. And, And I said, no, 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 the gospel is just, it's good news. But the good news is about a person. It's not the Romans road. It's not another formula. It's not 1 Corinthians 15, the first three verses. Those verses just tell you about Jesus. But it's Jesus who saves. Only God can forgive sins, and Jesus was God. Thus God forgives us in the person of Jesus Christ. So it is never the what, it is always the who. And Richard, remember that because that is also going to be the same answer for the questions people have for you. You've listened to this program for a while. We've gotten some questions from you, and I'm grateful. But you've heard me say many, many times, just be with Jesus. He's the answer to the questions. He's the one who leads us out of despair. He's the one who takes where we are and turns us so that we can be where he is it's always the who please never ever forget and don't ever think that any question is a silly one three four zero ninety five eighty five we'd i'd love at least to have the year start off with questions for your phone calls toll free you can call us at eight seven seven six three zero kslr here's a question from michael from our email inbox hello pastor on good day to you and may god continue to bless you in your radio ministry thank you michael he says this in the regard is in regards to the question you just answered about child baptism i guess this was a response to a question that we had uh, last week on the program He says, I do have family members who are practicing Catholics and partake in this type of baptism for children. My question is, should I decline to attend the baptism when I am invited, or is this an opportunity to tell them the truth while there? Let me deal with both questions, Michael, because uh, I don't think you should ever decline uh, an invitation to attend a special ceremony like this. Um, uh, This is family, and you, you want to win your family, so uh, to stand outside of what they're doing, something that's special to them, um, um, w- would probably make that more difficult. So, no, I don't think you should decline to attend the baptism. Now, I'm going to talk out of the other side of my mouth because we've had the question before on this program, if we're invited by a family member to go to a gay wedding, that's a place where I think we draw a line in the sand. Uh, this infant baptism uh, can be reversed it can be uh, made useful when when the the child or the grown young man or grown young woman is old enough to make their own choice Uh, but no i think you should go to keep those um, doors open Um, i also don't think that the baptism itself is an opportunity to tell the truth while there You're just going because it's family, because you love them and you care about this child. Now, should you be asked to be a godfather, that would be a different story. Then what you're going to do is tell them the truth. But when you involve yourself in their lives and when your light of Christ shines in ways that they can't possibly understand, I promise you God is going to give opportunities for you to tell them the truth. Um... Personally, I hate when people are given false hope. And when infants are baptized, um, that's giving them false hope. It's holding on to false hope on the part of the parents and the people. Well, because the baby was baptized, um, the the problem of of original sin is dealt with, and now they belong to God. No, we, we belong to God when we die to us, and we're born again in Christ. So... 
you'll have opportunities to talk with them. Maybe after the baptism, um, when you're out eating, or or maybe you you call your family member and say, hey, can we get together for a cup of coffee or something? I'd like to talk to you about that baptism. And you can start out by saying, look, I know you're Catholic, and I know this is what the church believes. However, it's not consistent with what the Bible teaches, and I'd like to spend 10 minutes just telling you what the Bible teaches. And if they want to listen, then you've got an open door. If they don't want to listen, at least you've told them. So I I wouldn't decline to attend, nor would I use the occasion of the baptism, the location of the baptism, um, nor would I use that as an opportunity to, to, to share your faith. 340-9585. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a funny question. It's funny to me. It's from Jason. He says, Pastor Ron, I tried finding you on social media and couldn't. Why is your social media profile non-existent? Jason, I'm a guy who has a microphone in his mouth almost my whole life. I talk so much. We go home sometimes, Paul and I from church. I say, Paul, do I talk too much? Uh, I talk so much. Um, Nobody needs to hear anything else that I have to say. I'm not interested in a social media profile. I'm I'm certainly not interested in Facebook. I don't have a Twitter account. I, I don't do all of the other snap things and whatever social media is out there. Um... I want to spend my time talking to people about Jesus, and the best way to do that is face-to-face. So uh, my social media profile will continue to be non-existent. Um, I don't have time to spend um, reading what other people think, and I honestly don't believe that anybody needs to know what I think. I'd much rather get up in the morning and talk to Jesus than send out tweets. I'd rather you know about my faith or about yesterday's message or Monday, Sunday's message than I would about what I'm thinking or what I'm doing. Uh, I don't think my opinions have any more merit or validity than anybody else's opinions. And pretty much, Jason, when I'm talking, it's going to be about Jesus. It's going to be letting the word come out of my lips. You know, we have a singer in our worship team. She's been on this program. Uh, uh, Jocelyn Enriquez uh, Makasadia. Uh, her husband is our worship pastor and they're, they're kids. They're my kids. I love them so much. And she's sort of famous and she was a big star before she um, gave her life to Jesus Christ. Now he's completely transformed her life. And one day I said to her, I said, you know, I know you don't miss singing in the secular world. But do you ever think about it? She said, Pop these lips, this voice is now for Jesus. Well, Jason, it's kind of what I think as well about my time and my energy. It's just going to be about and for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the question. I hope that helps and explains. I was actually told by another pastor that you really couldn't grow your church if you weren't on social media. He actually counseled me. He said, you know, I, I insist that all of my staff pastors are on social media and we're always out there. Well, I, I'm just not interested in that. I'm more interested in being out there um, promoting Jesus and I don't think social media is the appropriate place to do so. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. i got time for... Uh, another one, this one's from Ben, Pastor Ron. Will you uh, comment on something someone said to me about the church not allowing women, people of color, or gays equal access in the church? Ben, I may have to go on the other side of the break and get part of this, but I'll get started. Um, you know, the church, a uh, Bible-believing church, uh, has nothing to do with not allowing women or people of color or gays equal access in the church. What we do is what the Bible says. Now, here's what we have to understand. The church isn't ours. It's Jesus's. We're simply stewards of the church. And he's given us rules in the Bible about how the church ought to function. 
And when he says women can't be pastors, and by the way, that's the only place women have no access. They cannot be pastors in churches. That's God's rule. He set it up. The church belongs to him. So if I was in this church, I can call it my church, if I was at Calvary Chapel San Antonio, saying, well, you know, I'm going to allow women to preach. I'd be in opposition to God. So we're not restricting women at all. We're simply saying, use your gifts in a different role. Uh, people of color, I wish, Ben, that you would come to a Calvary Chapel just one Sunday. Because the diversity racially in this church, uh, ethnically, is is unbelievable. It's a United Nations here. And our church is a perfect picture of the diversity in our city. Almost in equal percentages. So um, that, that's, that's not an issue where the Bible is taught. Uh, there's no prejudice. Um, a Christian can't be prejudiced. Uh, a Christian has to deal with those kind of things and repent. So people of color, my my elder board is, is uh, I'm trying to think, really, I think I'm the only white dude on it. Well, we, we have another one. Okay. Ben, I'll come back on this one on the other side of the break because I think it's really, really important. This is something that's spread about the Church of Jesus Christ that's simply not true. Hey, it's um, 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585. We'd love your live calls and questions. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our first show of the year. In a moment, we're going to go to Chris, our first caller of the year in 2018. But Ben, let me finish my question for you. Uh, I was wrong. I have two, including me, another white elder, uh, two of my elders are African-Americans and two are Hispanic. On my pastoral staff, there's three Filipinos, three Hispanics, and three white guys. So um, um, there's just equal opportunity. Um, God recognizes gifts and God looks at hearts. And we have to understand this. And the idea that that um, um, we're simply not allowing opportunity to people who are different uh, is not fair. Uh, it's simply not true. Now, regarding gays, uh, anybody who has lived a gay lifestyle repents, gets saved, and demonstrates that they can be, um, uh, they're gifted with the gifts necessary to do something. They have access to uh, every office in church. They, they simply cannot continue to be homosexual. Uh, I, I would, any of my pastors or any of my elders, if I found out that they were having sex with somebody they weren't married to, whether it was a man or a woman, they would be immediately removed. So everybody has equal access, but also equal responsibility. So the comment is simply that, that what that person said to you is simply not true. Now, are there segregated churches in this country? Of course there are. But don't blame Jesus for that. That's not his purpose. So, Ben, I hope that answers your question. It's it's just uh, I get a little miffed sometimes when people uh, aren't truthful when it comes to... Um, spreading lies. Our first caller of the year, Chris from San Antonio. Chris, thank you for calling. You're on the air. You're welcome. Uh, Happy New Year, Pastor. Uh, Thank you, Chris. Happy New Year to you. uh, I heard you just said I'm the first caller of the year. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I don't know if I will say I'm lucky, but but anyway, (laughs) that's just a Quit. Anyway, it has, because you said uh, fair scholar, my question has something to do with numbers. Uh, anyway, before I give you my question, uh, I, I've heard evangelists, TV or radio, and sometimes um, our pastor, 
say something like uh, six is the number of men, seven is the number of God, or seven or eight is that. And then I've heard preachings, especially on TV, where they say 2017, uh, you get a lot of blessings, and these are the seven reasons. And then 2018 comes, somebody else preaches, uh, saying something about the number eight, uh, and so because. And then they try to base it on biblically. I, I just want to know your thoughts about that. Uh, yeah. Because sometimes it, 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 it kind of makes me uneasy, as if yep. God is, uh, is uh, bound by numbers or, or limited mm-hmm. by the nu- number of the year that we have. Yeah, Chris, uh, I, I understand your Can you please give your question. thoughts about that? I, and I I'll hang you. up and just I'll listen to you to the radio. And thank you so thank much you, again for all uh-huh. the things you are doing, Pastor. Oh, Bye. my pleasure. God bless you. Uh, Chris, uh, numbers matter. Um, sometimes people take them to extremes, and certainly you'll find that in prosperity churches, and um, you know they get nonsensical about numbers. But numbers matter, and there are patterns that are established by God in His Word. Now, those patterns come from two books, Genesis and Exodus. Uh, man was made on the sixth day, so six... <clears throat> Excuse me, six is the number of man. Um, Seven is the number of completion. We know that, and those patterns are repeated throughout Scripture. but But the foundation is laid in Genesis primarily, but also in Exodus. If you look at the 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 building of the tabernacle in Exodus and pay attention to the details, and it's hard because it's boring. Um, the, the numbers repeat themselves, uh, and God is establishing a pattern. So um, beyond uh, the number eight, uh, and then you go all the way to the number 12 and then to number 40, these numbers mean something. Um, uh, three is the number of God, Father, Son, Spirit, the fullness of the of the triune God. Uh, five is repeatedly the number of grace. And you'll see grace over and over and over. And five is grace. Six, I said, is the number of man. Seven, the number of perfection. Eight is the number of new beginnings. Um, that's why we worship on the first day of the week. The, the early church started it. It was the number of new beginnings honoring the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which gave us um, um, new life. Now, uh, you'll go all the way back to Genesis and see that, that a Jewish baby, a male Jewish child, would be circumcised on the eighth day. That was God giving us a picture of the new beginning. Uh, it's a type or a pattern. Uh, number 12, there were 12 disciples. Uh, there are 12 elders seated on the throne in heaven in the book of Revelation and 12 patriarchs. There were 12 uh, fathers of each of the tribes of Israel. That's 12 is the number of government. So we have those things. 40 is the number of trials or testing. Uh, we know that uh, Jesus was 40 days without food and water before being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. So the, the numbers are are legitimate. Uh, it is a, a, a constant hermeneutic by which we can interpret our Bibles. When you get to the book of Revelation, as one example, Chris, you get to um, seven churches, seven lampstands. It's it's just a picture of fullness and completeness. There's there's rampant symbolism there. Uh, so so we're we're talking about things that represent other things. So it's a solid hermeneutic, and you don't need to be afraid of it. Um, the only thing you have to worry about is people that go uh, like overboard with it. So I hope that helps. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go back to the phone lines and talk with Ravar on San Antonio. Ravar, good to hear from you. Good evening, Chief Pastor. I hope you had a great New Year, or having a great New Year. <laughs> well, if if you could get me fifty or sixty more degrees, I'd have a great New Year. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I'll be praying. <laughs> Thank you. So, I had a question. Um, me and my wife were currently going through uh, the Kings and Chronicles, and 
I'm enjoying uh, at least my wild program is basically going back and forth between the two books to show, I guess, like the extra features of deleted scenes almost of the history of Israel. And uh, one instance, um, have me and my wife uh, trying to search and see what God was trying to teach us. The instance was the man of God, and he asked the man to strike him. And the first guy just refused, and he then said, well, because of this, uh, he basically a dead man. And the guy got killed by a lion, and then he asked the second guy to strike him, and he just willfully did so, and then proceeded to go to the king and uh, make his, uh, make an object lesson. But uh, the question me and my wife had was, uh, why was it so bad that the first guy kind of refused to strike him? Because, I mean, weren't men of God, like, highly revered? Like, you wouldn't want to strike a man of God. Like, that, that usually came with consequences. Like he's trying to do when bad things happen. So that was one. I can help. I'm laughing because that's such a great question. You know, the the, yeah, the man of God is is revered and nobody would want to strike him. At the same time, if you really feared him um, because you feared God, you'd want to obey him. And this was a prophet who was on a mission. Uh, this prophet was given a message by God. He needed this man's help in order to fulfill the mission. Now, it, it, one of the things that you understand through this is it was tough to be a prophet, a real prophet. Man, they lived really difficult lives. In this particular case, he was being disobedient. Um, you remember the, the story about Elisha when the young men, they weren't little kids, the young men were calling him baldy, baldy and they were mocking him and and uh, they were they were mauled as well uh, you, you just didn't disobey or disrespect so when the man of God, and, and in cases like that, the man of God is known by the people that he's talking to when he gives you an order you're supposed to do what he told you to do as long as it doesn't violate the nature of God it's not a false word uh, and the picture is important for us, Ravar because uh, when when we really demonstrate not only a love for but a fear of a healthy filial fear of God, um, then obedience has to be part of the equation. So that's all that was going on there. Uh, God's message had to get through, and uh, and the, the judgment the judgment came. One of the things that'll help you as you're reading through the Kings and Chronicles. And uh, this is sort of my wheelhouse, Rivard. I just love the history. The historical books in the Old Testament are, are by far my favorite. Uh, when you're reading Kings, you're reading the history sort of with a view from Earth. But when you read the Chronicles, and that's why it's always so important, and I'm glad your Bible program, your reading program, has you going back and forth, because when you get to the Chronicles, you're seeing a view from heaven's perspective, and there's additional details, additional information, and explanation of some of the things that are a little bit confusing as we read them in Kings. Man sees things one way, but God always sees things more clearly from his perspective. And, and if you keep that in focus... Um, the Chronicles accounts will give you really, really great information about what you're reading in First and Second Kings. Does that help? Yes, tells a lot. Thanks so much, Pastor. My pleasure, Var. Good to hear from you again. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question that's very important. I know you say God loves us, but how can I believe that when people make me feel like I don't matter? Anonymous people are jerks and jerkettes. So you have to decide whether or not you believe God and what he says about you, or you're going to believe people. And I think sometimes when we get in these emotional quandaries, it's because we're looking for our affirmation or validation from other human beings. And humans can't see you the way God sees you. If you want to see how God sees you, Anonymous, read the Song of Songs in your Bible. But focus on just the parts that are titled Lover. That's Jesus talking to you. All beautiful you are, my darling. There's no flaw in you. He's saying you're perfect. Now, that doesn't mean you're perfect the way we humans understand perfection. None of us will be until we're with Jesus. But that's how God sees you. And the first thing you have to do is understand His love for you. And the more you understand His love for you, the less what people say and do will matter to you. So don't blame God for the way people treat or mistreat you. 
I don't know what you mean when you say they make you feel like you don't matter, but you matter so much to God. The pearl of great price suggests in Matthew chapter 13, verse 45, the pearl of great price suggests that if you were the only one who would believe the message of Jesus Christ, that he still would have died just for you. That's how valuable you are. If you would accept his love, then you wouldn't need the affirmation and validation from other people. And sometimes when we finally learn how much God loves us, we start living up to that. And then what God will do is use the change in you to change the way other people view you as well. So don't need other people to affirm you. You can tell them, I matter to Jesus. The only thing, that, the only person that really matters, I matter to him. In fact, he thinks about me all night and all day. David the psalmist writes, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast the sum of them. You know what that means, Anonymous? It means that every day, every day, Jesus is thinking just about you. Now, we know he's thinking about everybody. He's God. He's infinite. But all day, every day, his thoughts, his heart is consumed with you. When you get up in the morning, he can't wait to hear from you. So talk to him. Begin to enjoy how perfect you are in his eyes. Open your Bible. Instead of needing confirmation of your value from people, open your Bible and God will pour out his love for you. Let me suggest reading the book of Philippians. It's four chapters long. Just read it. Let God speak to you. You'll understand how much you matter. You'll understand how you can have joy even when nobody else wants to share in your joy. So Anonymous, please take this exhortation seriously. And open your Bible, read it systematically, start with Philippians. But remember, I also said to read just the parts titled Lover in the Song of Songs. And let Jesus convince you once and for all that from his perspective, you're all that. He loves you. He's crazy about you. He thinks about you and nothing else. So don't let what other people say or think influence you and then as I said and this is a promise from the word of God when you understand the height and width and depth and breadth of his love just for you I promise you he will change the way other people see you so that's how you believe it one final thought here's the proof God sent his only son to die for you for your sins I don't know what else he could do to prove how much he loves you before he gave up his spirit he took the punishment that your sins and mine deserve and every time I start to think about how much God loves me I think about the physical pain he took so I wouldn't have to in my own case, Anonymous, I think about God waiting for almost 40 years for me. And then when I finally surrendered to him out of desperation, he didn't scold me. He didn't say, what took you so long? He opened his arms and said, this is the best day ever. And I became his. So understand just how much he loves you. And I promise your perspective will change. Feel free to call the church office if you need any help or need any counsel. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question that just came in from our email inbox anonymously. Uh, today I received some not-so-great health news, and my first instinct was to pray, but I instantly felt guilty as if I didn't deserve to pray because I hadn't been faithful in praying as often as I should. I'm not the best Christian, and for the most part, I find myself doubting if I'm saved or if Christianity is real. 
Why would God want to answer me when this is the way I live? So I didn't pray. My question is, would God put me in a situation to make me come to him? Even though I'm barely a believer, can I still pray? Anonymous, let me say this. Especially if you're barely a believer, or especially if you're not sure you are, there's no better time to pray than right now. I'm so sorry that you got some bad health news. But trust your first instinct and pray. Now, in order to have your prayers heard, you just have to be honest, just the way you were in this question. Jesus, I, I, I need to pray. I'm sick. But I haven't been faithful in praying like I should. I haven't been living the life that I know I should. And here's the way you respond to that. You just say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And then purpose in your heart, Jesus, I want to do better. I want to know you more. And then do it. And you're going to find his arms open wide for you. You're going to find that you made his day. So yes, you can pray. Now, it's okay with a grateful heart to make your request known to God. It's okay to do that. So it's okay to say, Lord, will you heal me, please? But then, Anonymous, you've got to be able to say, Jesus, if you heal me or don't heal me, I'm going to serve you. If you heal me, I'll use my health and my extra strength to serve you for your glory. But if you're praying, remember, God knows our hearts. If you're praying just to be better, just not to die, God knows that. But here's the wake-up call you've received. And I talked about this in my message this Sunday as we had a year-end message that I give um, the, the, the Sunday before the new year every year. Um, none of us have time to waste. And all the time you've wasted by not praying and all the time you've wasted by not living in a manner that pleases the Lord, that's just time you've wasted. Now you have no more time for that. So now double down and say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to make up. Give me time. Now, as you may know, if you listen to this program, Anonymous, as you may know, I had uh, my own health crisis in 2017. Um, and I have been living the life that God's set before me. But, but I could say, Lord, I just don't feel like you're done with me. If you are, it's okay. You're in charge, but I don't. I felt like you. He was speaking to my heart and saying, "There's more to do." Um, he's not done with me. And what I've done is say, "Lord, let's ask again. If, if just make me well, because I want to serve you. Fill my heart, Lord. Heal my heart, Lord. My problem was a heart problem." So I can be strong to serve you, not so that I would avoid a trial but just so that I could serve him. God's answered those prayers. And Anonymous, he'll answer your prayers just as faithfully as he answered mine, as long as you're genuinely sorry, you're genuinely repentant. Repentant means to turn from the way you've been living and turn and follow Jesus. If you'll do that, you need God to be with you as you face this bad health news. And the only way to do that is you have to turn to him. Forgive me, Father, I'm a sinner. Forgive me for the way I live. Forgive me that I can write into a radio program and say that I'm barely a believer. Lord, let's change that this year. With whatever time I have left, let's change that. So Anonymous, please pray. Open your Bible. Find out who Jesus is. I'm going to ask you to read 2 Timothy. It's a long book. But listen to the way the Apostle Paul dealt with his end of life circumstance. And all the while we'll be praying for you. The Lord knows who you are. In fact, I'm going to pray for you very quickly before I say goodbye. Jesus, I lift anonymous to you. You know who and where they are. So touch him and heal, O God. But more importantly, use this physical illness to cure the spiritual sickness that's pervaded this life. May this man or this woman turn to you and live for you. And then, Lord, I ask you to give him or her strength 
so that they can be used for your glory. Convince them, Jesus, how much you love them. Amen. Anonymous, I'll be praying for you. If you don't mind, keep us posted how you're doing. 340, well, I don't have time to do it. No, don't have time. Let me get one more question. Um, here's an, another anonymous question. Um, she says, my husband wants a divorce, but has no grounds biblically to get one. Should I give the divorce to him, or should I hold out? Anonymous, uh, you're a believer. Um, uh, I'm assuming you are. Um, your husband um, may not be a believer. You, you can't force him to do anything. We live in a time when people get divorced for any reason, and so you can't stop him. Uh, if he's living like an unbeliever, or if he is an unbeliever, no matter what he says, um, the Bible says if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. Now, if you don't want a divorce, it doesn't sound like you do, then this is a time for you to pray. But this is a time for you to get so close to Jesus, because just like the other question I had a moment ago, you're going to need to be close to Jesus. You're going to need him now more than ever. But don't make it convenient for him if you don't want a divorce. But if you want a divorce and he wants to wants you to give it to him, then, then do it. God's called us to live in peace. He hates divorce, but because of the hardness of hearts, divorce sometimes happens. So holding out when somebody's bound and determined to divorce you in a no-fault divorce world that we live in, is just a recipe for for pain. So you can't force him. Um, he wants to divorce you, and he knows God doesn't want that. So what you need to do is just pray that God would change his heart. If, if in fact, you want to stay in a marriage, if you don't, if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. Sorry for the pain, Anonymous. Hey, thanks for tuning in on our first program of the year. I hope you have a great 2018. We intend to here at Calvary Chapel. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Remember, tell somebody about how much Jesus loves them. We'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.